Welcome to Startup Cornell, a podcast exploring the bold entrepreneurial ideas coming from our students, faculty, staff, and alumni. I'm Kathy Havis, your host, and today we're talking with Ose Boate, founder of OKB Hope Foundation. It's a nonprofit dedicated to transforming healthcare delivery in Africa, especially in rural and low-income communities. The organization offers mobile health clinics that travel to remote locations in Ghana to offer routine medical care. We're honored that he's here to discuss his organization and its impact. To find out more about entrepreneurship at Cornell and see the show notes from this episode, visit eship.cornell.edu. And remember to rate and review our podcast by scrolling to the bottom of the episode. We want to help more young entrepreneurs find the podcast and be inspired to follow their dreams. So welcome, Jose. I'm so glad you could be here today. Thank you so much, Kathy. Thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity. So maybe you can give us just a short elevator pitch about your organization, how you started it, and what you're up to now. Yeah, definitely. So for my organization, OKB Hope Foundation, we are a nonprofit that is really focused on bringing healthcare to the doorsteps of rural and underserved communities. Our focus has been on preventative and primary healthcare. Definitely in Ghana, especially in the rural communities, a lot of people travel several miles for desperately needed care. And sometimes, even if they go to the hospital, is with the hope that they get to see a doctor. And so our goal is to really bring healthcare to their doorsteps by bringing our mobile health clinic and also training some of their community members to serve as health advocates so that even if our mobile health van is not there, these people can continuously have access to healthcare and be able to live a productive life. That's great. So how did you start this idea? How did this become something that you really wanted to dedicate your time to? Definitely. So I was born and raised in Ghana. I lived in Ghana for the most part of my life. Growing up in Ghana, I firsthand saw how health disparities affected a lot of people in my community. A lot of people had to travel several miles to the nearest hospital. And even with that, they go there with the hope that they get to see a doctor because it's more of like a first come first serve. You don't know when you get to see a doctor. You just walk in and hope that you are one of the lucky ones. And also saw a lot of people losing their lives through preventative care or preventative diseases or diseases that could have been easily prevented. And I personally lost my grandmother and my auntie to this ordeal. And so growing up, I really knew that once I come of age, I wanted to do something that would improve the, the life quality or the, the health situation in rural and safe communities. So when my family migrated in the United States, and got the opportunity to study at Cornell, I, w- I was pre-med. So the goal was that I was going to go to take all these pre-med classes, go to medical school and become a doctor, and then go back and serve the rural communities. But there was this life-changing moment when I was taking this class, anatomy and physiology, in the large Bailey Hall. And my professor, Kimberly O'Brien, was talking about different cardiovascular diseases. And they, she mentioned hypertension and mentioned diabetes. And said that, you know what, these diseases have silent symptoms. And if individuals don't know about that, they can easily lose their life. And that rang a bell in my head because I was like, you know what, I came from a community where access to healthcare was a challenge. How much more would these people even know that they are hypertensive or diabetic? So that was the point that I decided that, you know what, I'm just going to create awareness about hypertension, diabetes, and then provide people with early screenings so that they are aware of their health status and are able to modify their lifestyle choices to address this situation. And so that is how it started. It started from me getting the knowledge from the class and realizing that, you know what, coming from 
the community where access is, is very difficult. It's very important that I create this system or create this solution where people would have access to early screenings because once diseases progress, it really becomes expensive for people to treat. And the people in the rural communities definitely didn't have the access to the financial capital to be able to treat diseases once it gets to the later stage. So my goal was that, you know what, I was going to bring this to the doorstep. I was going to make sure that they have the health education, they have the resources to be able to take care of their health or advocate for their health. That's great. And obviously, by doing something like what you're doing now, you're touching a lot of people versus being a doctor, you would touch some people, but maybe this could be something that could even more broadly spread across the country. Are hypertension and diabetes a couple of the things that are, are really prominently a problem in Ghana? Or what are some of the issues that doctors who are in the global clinic are seeing and are helping to treat? Yeah, so we focus definitely on the both the, the, the cardiovascular diseases and the infectious disease. In Ghana, we have this double burden of diseases where still malaria is still the number one killer disease in Ghana, but still we've seen that the, the stroke, hypertensive and diabetic-related disease are coming up. Hypertensive-related diseases are the second outpatient morbidity sort of issue in Ghana. So a lot of people come to, to the clinic with, with the hypertensive-related or diabetic-related diseases. For the most people, like they, some of them know, some of them know that they are hypertensive, some of them don't know. A lot of people that we've seen in the community, a lot of them came with like different health challenges, like skin rashes or maybe malaria, but they didn't know that they are hypertensive. So they will come to our clinic and then once we screen them, we realize that, you know what, even though you have this particular disease, like your blood pressure is high or your blood glucose is high. So that is how we've identify some of these health issues. But for the most part, we treat a wide range of diseases, both infectious. So we do malaria, we have typhoid, we do the sexual transmitted disease, we do HB tests for anemia. So with our van, we are able to provide primary health care. We have some point of care lab diagnostics that we are able to offer in the van. So it's pretty much like a one-stop shop where some, an individual will come in, we are able to provide them with the vitals that the person needs. The person is able to consult with the doctor. Depending on the situation, the doctor can request some lab diagnostics for the person. We can do that in the van, give the results to the doctor. The doctor is able to make the final diagnosis. We do also carry some medications where the doctor can also prescribe medications or give some of the medications that we have in the van to the individual. So it's pretty much a, I mean, a one-stop shop for both infectious and other cardiovascular or non-communicable diseases. That's great. So they don't need to like set up a follow-up appointment or anything. They get everything they need like right at that one time, which is great. Yeah. So yeah. that is what we do. And sometimes, you know, these diseases require some follow-up. So sometimes we, we go to these rural communities again with our van, and then we are able to see these people that got the care when we, we, we sort of visited in the, uh, the first time in their community. So how many communities are you going into these days? How many places are you able to serve at the present time? And, and then like, what's your hope for maybe the next year or so? Yeah, so since we started operating in 2020, we've been to over 50 rural communities across Ghana. Some of them we've gone for a follow-up, some of them we, we've not gone there for a follow-up. But right now, I would say that actively, we do follow-ups in about 25 to 30 rural communities where we go back again to provide care to the people there. And what's your day-to-day -day role? I know you're in school right now working on a master's. 
Congratulations on that. But what's your day-to-day role with Foundation? What kind of things are you working on personally? Yeah, so for my day-to-day role, since the team that I work with is based in Ghana, sometimes I, I wake up as early as 3 a.m. to have our morning huddle with, with the team where we discuss updates and also the plan for the day and also for the week as well. And afterwards, I get I read some health news to be updated on whatever is going on in the healthcare space in Africa as well, so that I'm well-versed in the work that I'm doing and also start working on different strategic plans. Um, for us as a foundation, we have different initiatives that we are working on. One is the mobile health clinic. We are working on another one called the Know Your Health Initiative, where we train and educate community members to serve as health advocates in their rural communities. And so they are more of like an extension of what we do when we are not in the communities. Uh, we are working on a mental health initiative called Wuhuhiam. It means I care for you. That is because we saw that a lot of people that we are seeing, most of the times they would come talking about physical diseases. But once you, uh, you dig deep into it, you realize that there is an underlying mental health issue or challenge that they are going through. And so for us, we, we've started this initiative just to educate people about mental health, give them the resources, because we believe that physical health and mental health sort of go hand in hand. We cannot take physical health away from mental health. So our goal with the Wuhunhiame initiative is to really bring mental health and physical health to the doorsteps of people. Another initiative that we are working on is what we call the case competition. So we usually have an annual case competition where we bring students across the world together to collaborate and identify innovative solutions to address pressing healthcare challenges in sub-Saharan Africa. And lastly, we also have the Experience Ghana program, where we give students the opportunity to actually come to Ghana with us to volunteer and intern with us and have a real-world experience of how healthcare is being delivered in rural and underserved communities. Oh my goodness. So you're doing all those things at the same time. Yeah. (laughs) Holy cow. Wow. That's great. So you really started with the mobile health clinic and then all these other things have you've discovered. Yeah. So, I mean, even before the mobile health van coming in, we used to go to these rural communities to do the education. I started this when I was a junior. So when I was a junior at Cornell, so pretty much we have been going since 2017, bringing this healthcare education there. So We've been doing this before the mobile van. So the mobile van came in 2021, but we've been going to these rural communities. I started taking students to Ghana in 2018. I had my first case competition in 2021. So we started some of these initiatives before the mobile clinic came in. Right, right. What are some of the greatest successes for you so far? Like, what are some of the things you, every day you think about, oh, this is why I do this work? The opportunity to really bring healthcare to communities where otherwise wouldn't have access to it has been one of the fulfilling and the greatest success for me, right? Because you go to a community where some of them for five to 10 years haven't been to the hospital or haven't even thought about going to the hospital. One, because of like, it's very far from them. Two, because they don't even know the importance of regular checkups or like health education. And so for me, one of them is being able to bring healthcare to over 4,000 individuals across these 50 rural communities 
I mean, being able to train 20 rural community members to serve as health advocates across four rural communities. And these health advocates in turn have provided follow-up care to over 900 community members across these four rural communities. And being able to have our first mental health educational platform that provide lifelong access to educational resources for individuals going through mental health challenges. And even to uh, making the content, uh, having an audio content in the local language and in English so that even if you can't read online, you can still listen to the mental health content has been some of the, the greatest achievement. And lastly, with the case competition that we've had, we've had over 150 students participating from all the different countries, UK, US, Canada, Denmark, Tanzania, Kenya, and Ghana coming together with the one goal of bringing innovative solutions to address challenges that people are facing in the healthcare space in, in sub-Saharan Africa. That's great. So how often do you do the case competition? Is that every year you have a competition? Yeah, so I, do, I have it every year. So I started in 2021 and the focus was on patient satisfaction. 2022, it was on mental health accessibility. And this year we had it on maternal health, using digital tools to address the maternal health challenges in sub-Saharan Africa. That's great. How do things like the current economic situation in Ghana impact what you're doing? Or is it impacting people's ability even more so to like get to the doctor or to think about health as a, a priority because they're worried about so many economic issues? That is a very great question. And I would say that that has really been one of the factors that influence people's decision to seek care. For the people that we serve in the rural communities, most of them are farmers, about 90% of them are farmers, which means they are the money that they get is very seasonal, right? So it's like, okay, once I harvest, I get money. Once I don't harvest, I don't have any money, right? So for them, the economic challenges has really affected them because then they have all these crops and like they need to sell it because if you don't sell it, it will go bad. And so then if people don't have the ability to pay for their crops, they lose on that. And so for the most part of it, like the people that we are serving, the economic challenges has really affected them. And that has been one of the reasons why they don't seek health care because, believe it or not, there are other things that they, they really think about, like be putting food on the table for their family, having a place to sleep, has been like the main ones they would think about first before seeking health care. And so with the current economic condition, it has been very difficult for people to seek health care. And so for the work that we do in these rural communities, everything is for free. We provide the medical care, the lab diagnostics and also the medications that these individuals need for free once we go to these rural communities. How did you have the idea that you would be able to find the funding and make the whole nonprofit work? Like, What kind of resources have you found out there to help you? And it seems like something that people would want to support in various ways through campaigns and things like that. But how have you put that all together so that you can support this to go forward? So for me, when I started in 2017, I was fortunate enough to get a mini grant from engaged Cornell and also Cornell Tradition because I was a Cornell Tradition fellow. And so that really helped me for them to at least purchase some of the blood pressure machines to start this thing off. But since then, I have been mostly self-financing that through the work that I was doing as a librarian in, in college. And also I used to drive people around to the airport. So one, like the small, small money that I was able to gather through the work that I was doing at Cornell also helped me sort of push things forward. 
But once I graduated, I have been really financing it through the, the work that I was doing as a fellow at Henry Ford Health. And one of my board members have been also supporting significantly. He is called Sadikand and also a Cornell alum who has really been supporting the work that we are doing. So right now, we haven't really been able to sustain any significant grant or any funding. We are just working with the little resources that we have. And I would say that, like, for example, Sandy, Sandy Kant and Palm, Sylvester, and some of these Cornell alums have been really supporting the, the work that we are doing. And so right now, that is how we are able to really finance most of the activities that we do in Ghana. That's great. I wondered if like there was any funding through the government in Ghana to support health initiatives like this, or like if there's any for the future and when you're trying to expand, are there some organizations there that would buy in to help at all? Or would it be probably all outside funding that you would be seeking? Yeah, definitely. So I'm looking into other organizations, right? So I'm looking into the US, USAID and also trying to also get access to, to the Gates Foundation. But the thing is that for all these big foundations, you need to be invited to apply for a grant or you need to know someone in there to be able to get access, which has been one of the challenges that we are facing because then I don't have a huge network in all these sort of foundations. So very difficult to assess these funding, even though their strategic plans, vision aligns with what we are doing. It's very difficult to, to get access to those. And so in the future, definitely something I'm still working on to be able to, to, to get in front of these people. Right, right. So talk a little bit about the CNN honor. So Osei was just honored by CNN as one of its heroes. And I wondered how that came about and how you found out about that and how that whole process worked. So in, in 2022, I get in the later part in 2022, I was having my last board meeting, right? And I was speaking with the board members, talking about the work that we are doing, the updates and the impact that we are making. And one of them casually mentioned that, you know what, you might qualify for the CNN Hero. And that was the first time I heard about it because I didn't know about the CNN Hero. So I was like, sure, I'll look into it. And so I looked into it. And then I asked one of the board members who also happens to be a Cornell alum as well, um, Sandy Khan, to write the nomination for me. So Sandy nominated me for, for the CNN. And then I was there in March. I had this call. I, I wasn't sure of the number. I just picked up and they were like, you know what? calling from CNN and I wanted to know a little bit about your project and stuff like that. So that is how it started. And so I got the call. They, they had to do their due diligence with that, calling people in Ghana to really find out that uh, it's Jose actually doing the work that he's saying that he's doing. And so through all the due diligence, after the due diligence, they came back saying that they, they have selected me as a CNN hero and that they would like to even come to Ghana to capture the work that we are doing. And for me, that was an amazing news. It was very great because for me, the work that I'm doing, I believe that is something that can be easily replicated in other sub-Saharan African countries or even the global South, especially between communities where access to healthcare is very difficult to, to get to. So having this platform means a lot of people are going to see the work that we are doing. And most importantly, learn from what we are doing to also serve their communities. Because, I mean, for me, my goal is that I know that I cannot do everything by myself. So definitely getting any platform that showcases the work that I'm doing to enable others to learn from what we are doing to also replicate that 
India, various countries or communities has been my vision and goal. Right. That's awesome. And was there anyone that you patterned your mobile clinic off when you were trying to develop it? Are there other organizations that are doing this work already or are there really not many that you could look to to replicate? I saw this mobile clinic at work, especially in the U.S. And during my fellowship at home before, that was one thing that they used for the COVID vaccination. So before that, before my whole idea, I've seen the mobile health van being used in a different capacity. Some have it for like, let's say, eye services, dental. But especially in Ghana, for example, there wasn't anything like that. So there wasn't anything that anyone was doing when it comes to mobile clinic. I would say for Ghana, we are one of the first, or even not one, the, the first people to do that in Ghana, where we go to rural communities to provide healthcare. Because Iris is more of like a one-stop shop. It's not just one service. We do more than that. We do education. We do consultation. We do labs. We also give medications as well. I learned from what has been done with what other organizations are doing in the U.S. with their mobile clinic and then use that to also develop a model for mine in Ghana. So I'd love to talk a little bit about what you think about your own personality makes you someone who wants to do something like this versus like work in a big company or something like that. Do you think that there are some special characteristics that you have personally or that entrepreneurs have in general that you think make you someone who's willing to like, just say, I'm just going to do this as my calling. And this is really what I want to focus on. And I'm going to obviously be able to do all these different pieces of the business. What about you growing up makes you think that maybe this is how you're going to end up as an entrepreneur? So for me, I didn't think about being an entrepreneur. For me, growing up from a family, service was something that was really important. So at a very young age, I was taught how to serve other people. So for me, it's more of serving people. And the way to serve people is to find solutions to their challenges or, I mean, their problems. And so that is how I started. So I was like, you know what? I want to serve. So how can I serve? And as how can I serve people? And that is how I came up with all these solutions of addressing healthcare challenges. And so for me, one of the traders really been sort of my doorstep or has been guiding me through the process is the trait of service, being able to serve people without thinking about the gains that will come from it. I believe that once you provide service to people and they find value in it, they will reward you accordingly. Um, so for me, it has been service. And the second thing is the ability to I mean, be humble and learn from people. I know that I don't know it all. My background is, is healthcare administration. So when it comes to medical care, I know that it's for the physicians, it's for the nurses, being able to understand where your expertise ends and where you need help to make the thing work is another trait that has really been helpful to me. And also the last one is being able to inspire people to be able to understand what you want to achieve and join the train is another trait that has really helped me for me. From all the work that I've been doing, starting from 2017, when I met with my first physician, telling him about the idea, getting him very inspired to even connect me with other physicians and, you know, growing this whole organization has been more of like being able to let people know that you are really passionate about what we are doing. And it's not for monetary gains, but really to make, some, to make life better or to make humanity better. 
And that is what a lot of people gravitate towards. And so for me, when I started the mobile health clinic, the first physician actually resigned from his job and moved to a different city just to be part of what we are doing. And from the work that we're doing, there's a lot of volunteers, like people truly want to come and serve just because of them seeing that, you know what, there's value in this. We are not just having this for ourselves, but to make other people's lives better. So I guess in summary for me is the service, is being able to also be humble and learn from others, know where your expertise ends and know where you need help from others. And the third one is being able to inspire others to join or um, buy into your vision to make things happen. Right, right. That's awesome. That's awesome. And it sounds like you've mentioned like various Cornell people throughout the journey. Are there some people at Cornell specifically or some things you've learned here that helped you move forward or helped you make this thing happen for yourself? One would be the Cornell Tradition Fellowship. I was a Cornell Tradition Fellow and that fellowship gave me the opportunity to really volunteer without thinking about paying for it, right? So it's like the, the, the fellowship allows you to explore all these opportunities because one thing that prevents people from doing this or going to this, as a student is like financially, can I afford that? So having Cornell tradition, engage Cornell, being able to even pay for my flight to be in Ghana to do this really helped me to really shape this nonprofit or really help me start this nonprofit because um, believe it or not, if I didn't have funding to go to Ghana to do this, probably this nonprofit will not be in existence. So these two organizations have been sort of the fundamental or the foundation of the nonprofit by even giving me access to all these funds to be able to do so. Secondly, the Cornell alums. There are two main people that have been significantly supporting. One is Sandy Khan, which I, I always mention because he really have been a very significant contributor to the work that we are doing. I mean, from the start of the mobile clinic, he used his 50th birthday to help us fundraise to get the van. And since then, he has been advising, contributing financially to it. Just this summer, he came to Ghana to see the work that we are doing as well. So that was his first time being in Africa. And so that really talks about the support and the commitment that he, he has in supporting what we are doing in Ghana. And one is also Pam Silverstein, who also was an entrepreneur in residence for the life-changing labs, have been also very supportive with the work that we are doing with advice and also supporting financially. So I say these two Cornell alums have made the journey very easy for me and also fulfilling. Talk a little bit about how you balance your various roles there. You're a student, you're managing this organization, which has a million different pieces going on at the same time. What are some of the things that you do to, to make these things all work? And what are some of the habits or some tools that you use that really help you out? Because you've got a lot going on. One that has really helped me is the skill of delegation. I would say that I'm very fortunate to have a great team in Ghana and, and I wouldn't trade them for anyone. These people have gone above and beyond to make things happen in the rural communities. Always people see the, what's it called? The final product, like, okay, you've gone to the community, you've provided care, but the journey to that is not really easy. 
On average, we travel about two hours and 30 minutes to these rural communities. Some of them, the roads are really bad. We've been into situations where like we, are, we got stuck in mud, right? Because the roads are not by in rain that we got stuck. And seeing like some of our physicians getting down and pushing the cars, like, you know, it, it's really amazing. I, I say that the, the success of the foundation has been with the people that are actually doing the, the work in Ghana. And I'm really grateful for them. So for me, it's the act of delegation because I trust them. So I'm, I'm able to delegate the work that I want to do in Ghana. So I guess I have the bigger picture. I was like, you know what, we want to do this, but they make it happen, right? So they are the people that have really helped me. So it, had, it has made the work easier for me on my side because I don't necessarily have to be in Ghana to make it happen. I have these people that make it happen. And for me, some of the tools that I've been using to, to keep on top of my things, so digitally has been like, this project management tools like the Asana and thing, Asana uh, and Slack, which really helped me organize, okay, what do I have to do? What are the deadlines? It really helped me. But for the most part, it has been being able to prioritize and also being able to delegate the work to people in Ghana to make things happen. So when you're meeting with them, you said sometimes you get up at three in the morning because that's their time period. So do you have weekly meetings? with your team there or how, how often do you chat with them or do you have like ongoing every day like Slack chats about what's going on? I would say that every day there's chat going on either on our Slack or on our WhatsApp. We chat every day just so that I'm abreast with the updates that are happening in the day, right? And also if they have any things that they want to share with me, they are able to do that. So we have the chat going on. I mean, every day, either our Slack or on our WhatsApp. And also I meet with them on Friday. So Fridays is when we have an extensive meeting. And then we will talk about, okay, how did the week go? What can we do better? How can we improve? And then we will discuss the different initiatives that we want to undertake. Sometimes we do have ad hoc meetings, especially when we are going for an outreach in rural communities. We have ad hoc meetings just to make sure that we have the medications, we have the diagnostic, um, point of care diagnostics that we need. So we have the volunteers, so we have to do the check-in to make sure that we are good to go. And for every community, before we go to every community, we go do community survey, I mean, talk with the community leaders, talk with the, the key stakeholders to make sure that they are aware that we are coming. So we have to do all that. So we have ad hoc meetings for those. Once we are doing like big, bigger initiatives, we do have ad hoc. But for the most part, we meet on Friday, have our normal weekly meetings. And in between Mondays and Fridays, we just work through the chats on WhatsApp or Slack. Right, right. So are there new communities that you're thinking about moving into at all the time? Are there places that you haven't reached yet that you would like to go to? There are a couple of communities that we want to go into. But one thing that we are also thinking about is yeah, when we started in 2022, it was more of going to rural communities and some of them we were able to go back to where some of them we were not able to go back to. So right now, the initiative or the, the strategic plan that we are taking is that, you know, what we are going to select, let's say 10 communities or 20 communities, focus on these 20 communities for at least six months so that there is some consistent healthcare provision from that for that community. Like, you know, we are able to build this relationship with them for the period of six months and then select different set of communities and work with 
That is being the strategic plan. And our goal is to really build a sustainable, a consistent support for these communities. And so one of our goals uh, or the initiative, which is the Know Your Health Initiative, really focus on like, you know, well, once we come to this community, whether our van, we try to identify some passionate people that we can train so that they are an extension of us. So even though we are not there, they can do that. And another initiative that we are working on is called the Hope Health Hubs, where the goal is that, you know what, instead of building new buildings or instead of having an infrastructure, how do we leverage existing infrastructures in the communities to be able to provide care? So whether that would be a school, whether that would be I mean, a church, how do we leverage those on days that no one is in the school or days that no one is at the church to be able to provide care? So, but that way, we don't have to be there with our van every time. We can now leverage teleconsultation or telehealth to still be able to provide care. And what I see this as that, you know what, we train people in the community. Those are the health advocates. And these people are the people that will guide people who are not tech savvy or who don't have smartphones in their communities to be able to still get access to the technology or the care that they need. Right. That sounds like a great idea because, yes, you can't be everywhere. And then if there are advocates that are passionate in each community, then you already have a great network of people to help out. Yeah, that's great. Throughout all of your work, I want to end by talking a little bit about people that you might admire or resources that you might have used that have been helpful that you think you might want to pass along. Are there some other people who you, whose work you have admired or followed in business or in nonprofit work who you have really patterned yourself after? One would be Chuck Feeney, one of the Cornell alums who lost his life recently. He has been one of the people that really inspired me. And I continue to look up to him. I got to know about him through the Cornell Tradition Fellowship because he has been the one who made a very significant donation towards this fellowship and gave opportunities to people like me to be able to, to do what I'm currently doing. And one thing that I admire about him was how he was able to use his money for good. So he had this I mean, wealth, money. But from his work, he gave it out. He donated all the money to support people to be able to do the work that they are doing. And reading about his story, he didn't live any luxurious life. The goal was that he was using his money for good. And that was very, very inspiring to me because ultimately that is what the world is about, to be able to give to people who otherwise couldn't have access to it or give to people who could not have otherwise afforded it. And so... Chuck has been one of my inspiration. And the other one would be my own Cornell alum and also board member, Sandy Khan. Definitely someone who, it was by chance that I got to meet with him and, and since then has been donating significantly to, to the work that we are doing without even getting to know the people that the work is being done for. So for those two people, there has been the ability for them using their money for good. And ultimately, it all comes down to the service that I said, like serving people. And I would say that one book that I also read that really changed the way I look at life or changed my perspective is the book called In Pursuit of Purpose by Miles Monroe and how he talks about how important to know as a human being that you are on this earth for a purpose and the purpose extends beyond you. It's not just about you. It's about the people 
in your community, the people that is around you, the people in the world. And so having that mentality always makes me think that whatever I engage myself, that is the question that I ask myself. Like, how am I serving people through the, whatever that I'm doing? How am I having a greater impact? And so that has been the Nostar, has been the guiding light for me in getting inspiration from these people and also reading books like The In Pursuit of Purpose, figuring out your purpose in life and working at it and making sure that whatever you are doing is not about you, but it's about other people and serving in purpose. What makes me think of when you have been able to travel back there and actually travel with the van to different places, is there a story of a person that you've met that you really feel like illustrates how important the work that you're doing is? Is there like one or two people that you can think of that you helped or that the doctors were helping that you really struck you as being inspiring? There have been, there have been a, a couple of stories. I, I will share a couple of them. The first one was being one we went to a community doing our health screening, our health education. There was this woman, she agreed to come and we did the health screening and we checked her blood pressure and her blood pressure was off the roof, like over 200. And so immediately once the physician identified that they were like, you know what, we stopped, we need to really send this woman to the emergency right now. And we did that. And once we got there, the attending physician, after attending to the woman, came back to tell us that if we had delayed for another hour, this woman would have lost her life. The thing about that was that the woman didn't know that he had blood pressure because she was working fine until she got screened and knew that, you know what, the pressure is high, right? And so stories like this was like, okay, this small action was really able to save lives. A couple of other ones were like, we went to a community, there was this child who came in, the child had kidney issues, right? So for our foundation, even though we are mostly focusing on preventative primary health care, once we get to communities where the services that the people need extends beyond what we provide, we don't leave them there. We do work hard to connect them with healthcare organizations that are able to do this complex care. And there have been three individuals that through what we've done, have been able to identify them in the community, connected them with healthcare providers or like tertiary hospitals to be able to do service for them. There was this eight-month-old baby that we were able to find out because the mom came to our van and the baby had hydrocephalus. So we had to connect the baby to a tertiary hospital. We paid all the bills. They got the surgery done for the baby. There was another child who was five years old, had issues with her kidney. So the belly was becoming big and her color was changing. We took her to the hospital. We paid all her bills. And now when I went to Ghana this summer, I was able to visit all these people. And it was like, you know what? If the van wasn't in the community, I don't know how these people would have got connected to these hospitals. Talking to the parents, it was really that, you know what? We didn't have the money. We were scared to take them to the hospital because we didn't have the money to pay the bills. And so being able to go there, being able to see the situation, not leave them there because our van cannot do that work. We and connecting them to, to the tertiary hospitals and actually paying the bill for their moms or for the family. I mean, really, really have, have been some of the stories that, that keeps me up at night because 
every time that Evan is no movie, I'm thinking like, which life are we losing? Because at every moment we are not in this community, someone is paying with their life. So that has been something that keeps me motivated. And that keeps me on like, you know, what we need to go to these communities. We need to bring that because any delay results in someone paying with their life. And our goal is to really bring this care to the doorsteps of these people and, and bring this timely care to them. Right. Wow. Those are amazing stories. Yeah. I mean, and you could, you're right. You can think of all the times that you, people have found things that they wouldn't otherwise have found and saved their lives. Yeah. Wow. So you could feel overwhelmed, like I should be in every community all the time, but you can't do everything. Oh my gosh. So thanks so much for joining us. I say this has been great to talk to you and I wish you all the best of luck in everything that you're up to. Thank you so much, Kathy, for this wonderful opportunity and giving me this platform to share my work because definitely that gives us the opportunity for people to learn the work that we are doing and most importantly, be able to make a change in their life. I started as a junior, so I would say it's not too late or too early to really impact lives or serve other people. So thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to, to share my story. So tell us how people could find out more about the foundation and support you and support your work. Our website is www.okbhopefoundation.org. People can go there and learn about the, our work, what we do, our impact, and also can also support us through our website. If they want to follow us, follow the work that we are doing, we are actively on all the social media page. If people want to support in kind or in cash, they can definitely contact me through my email, which is osayb at okbhopefoundation.org. And as I always say, this work is bigger than me. I cannot do everything by myself and I acknowledge that and so I really welcome any support, whether that is through strategic partnership, where we can really amplify the work in other communities or other countries. Uh, I'll be happy to do so, whether it's in kind, getting medical equipment, medications to, to these people, definitely I'll be happy to do so. So for me, it's more about either you're supporting in kind or in, in cash or even through partnership for us to amplify the way because we cannot do it by ourselves. We are starting for people to learn from us, for them to be able to replicate what we are doing in other areas. I have really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much for spending time. Such important work. To find out more about entrepreneurship at Cornell and see the show notes from this episode, visit eship.cornell.edu. And a special thanks to Abigail Younger, my editor extraordinaire.